want my son to say I was a good mother. I want my husband to say I was a good partner to him, a good wife to him. And I want my friends to say I was a good friend. Honestly, if that's all there is, that, that feels like multiple blessings to me. This is Before It's Too Late. I'm your host, Christian Suzanne. Let's learn together what matters most in life. In today's episode, we speak with highly achieved Anne Gordon, who was the highest ranking female in one of the 32 American football teams when she was heading marketing for the Philadelphia Eagles for more than five seasons. Anne is sharing with us what her biggest learning was in this more or less purely male-dominated sport world, the NFL. How she found the courage to communicate more directly. How she learned to signal, I'm about to disagree and here is why. This fascinates me, since I think speaking your mind with arguments is an important element of a fruitful conversation that we have to relearn also as a global society. On a deeper level, we will learn about Anne's path towards leading a meaningful life. Being dedicated to building a stronger bridge to her inner self, she talks about what she truly feels to be her responsibility towards others. You will also hear how creativity and the arts produce meaning in her life. I loved Anne's thoughts about how she creates her legacy. While she thinks of legacy as something that she shapes for her life here and now and not for after she will be gone, she states, where are the lives that I can impact? Whom can I touch? How can I help? I want to bring my gifts and experiences through a lifetime of working and offer it to others in a way that's meaningful. For her, it's all about amplifying the strength of others. And Gordon, we are proud to have you as our guest today on Before It's Too Late. Hello, Anne. Welcome to Before It's Too Late. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You are a highly achieved media, marketing and content executive, and you were the highest ranking female in one of the 32 American football teams, the Philadelphia Eagles, who won the Super Bowl 52 in 2018. So you and I and met in Philadelphia through Eisenhower Fellowships over 15 years ago. Wow, has were, it been that long? My gosh. Oh, yes. Yeah. My goodness. Exactly. When And at the time, you were managing the editor at the Philadelphia Inquirer. And ever since, I've known you as a friend and as someone who seeks wisdom beneath the surface. So, and I'm really wondering, how has COVID changed you? Oh, that's a, it's a great question. I think one of the ways to think about this is that COVID was this huge, massive disruptor, if not destroyer, of ordinary life. So when you think about how COVID has changed us, it's, it's a sweeping statement in the sense that we didn't all experience it exactly the same way, despite the fact that it's a global event, touched every life on the planet, which in and of itself is an amazing um, concept, including animal life. It is it seems so small to reduce it to how it just touched an individual life. But of course, this is how we, we think of our worlds. And 
When I think about this, the one thing that I realize is that one word really comes to mind and COVID settled me. And it settled me in a way that it made me really understand key things that are important to me and where I want to be. It helped me understand in some ways lessons I had learned long ago from other events in my life that there's grace in everything. And so I was able to try to hold on to those But it's also important to recognize that the way I went through COVID was distinctly different and I had a certain sense of privilege. So my economic stability was not completely overturned and and bringing different degrees of anxiety. So I'm able to reflect on COVID very differently than perhaps someone who might be sitting right next to me uh, or driving right past me on the highway today. And that is the amazing scope of COVID is that it touched everyone, but it touched us all, you know, very, very differently. And I'm just thankful that I can look and grab hold of some of the things that happened, although painful at the time, I think have given us some grace today in how we look at our world. Do you think it will also have changed you in a way how you spend your time? Oh, most definitely. I think when I originally left the Philadelphia Eagles, I was determined to try to seek creativity in my life. And that could mean a bunch of different things. It, it could mean connecting and helping and supporting, even mentoring creative people so that they can reach their greatest potential. Uh, it meant looking in my own life for elements of creativity, projects that I wanted to bring forward, whether that's photography or wood carving, which is something I actually really love, or just the pursuit of relationships and friends in different ways than I had before. I didn't have time when I was working so gung-ho on my career. So I think that COVID magnified that to a certain extent, but it also even boiled that word creativity down to just this word about time, you know, what do I have time for? What, what, what do I want to use my energy on? Because I think COVID made us all realize, you know, we may not have the time we thought we did in life. Mm, yeah, so true. And on the other hand, we might be able to dedicate in more consciously time to things that are really important to us, as, as you just said, in, in terms yeah, of Yeah, well, creativity. you just said it way more eloquently than I did, but that's exactly right. It's a question of focus and determination, I think, in terms of where you want to point your arrow and where you're going to spend your time. Yeah. So um, looking back in your life and uh, tell us more about your time at the Philadelphia Eagles. That must have been really an exciting time. Tell us what are your key learnings from that time? Well, you know, it's a really interesting question because I ended up taking away things from the Philadelphia Eagles that I never imagined. Um, it was a, an unexpected opportunity, certainly not anything I had targeted, but, you know, based on some relationships and some conversations, I ended up joining the Philadelphia Eagles in 2012. And really having this opportunity to reimagine how they tell their story and what their media could look like. And I spent a lot of time trying to help them organize a digital presence and eventually was overseeing pretty much everything that was outward facing for the Philadelphia Eagles, right? So that would be everything from their marketing and their messaging 
to all the game elements for the presentation while the game was going on, the video boards, the mascot, the cheerleaders, fan engagement events, public relations, both business and football, and also the community relations, right? How we, how this enormous force in Philadelphia relates to its community. So when I first started, I'm not sure that I understood all of the impact that an NFL football team could have in the United States. And this job really helped me capture that. And to a certain extent, the Super Bowl was sort of the pinnacle of that experience because it's so rare. There's only 32 American football teams. And, and especially as a woman, uh, you were rare, very right? Very much so. Very much so. It's a male-dominated sport. Obviously, the coaching is predominantly male, although they're slowly but surely changing with a few hires here or there. And if anything, that was such an out-of-this-world experience that it was a great way to actually leave the Philadelphia Eagles and, and decide to focus on something else. Because when I started, they were four and uh, 12, so they had um, a very poor record. And when I left, they had won the Super Bowl. So it was a, uh, a nice completion of that arc, if you will. But you asked me specifically about some of my key takeaways. And You know, I've thought about this a lot because one of the key takeaways that I had came from a coach who I had made a presentation to the coaching side about why, uh, about what my departments did and why it was important to them. Because coaches tend to be focused only on the sport that they're consumed by. These are demanding, heavy lifting jobs that are, involve teaching and, and energizing and all different sorts of elements. And he took me aside and he said it was a really excellent presentation and that I, he would take it seriously because I took it seriously. So what was in the presentation then? Oh, it was just a presentation about what the staffs did. I don't think it was so much what as how. Okay. And that's really the big takeaway was that the coaches taught me how to be more direct in my communication. And I think oftentimes a woman uh, maybe finds herself in a room with all men and has a different point of view and perhaps hedges it. I myself was guilty of this with some phrase like, let me just push back here. In other words, signaling, I'm about to disagree with you guys, get prepared. And the coaching uh, experience taught me to just say what was on my mind, to be more forthright. This is the way men communicate all the time. And women don't always have the luxury of being able to communicate that way, but the Philadelphia Eagles did give me the opportunity to communicate that way. Say what was on my mind, not have to hedge it, not have to pull out my difference first, but rather just say, I think we should do this and here's why. And that late in my career, after having done things for decades in the past in other roles, that was a revelation to me to be able to just to say what I thought and have and stand on ground that I knew was solid and that I had something to offer at the table. So just a reminder that we can all learn something no matter where we are in our careers, I guess. Well, that is very powerful indeed and, and very relatable. So true that women often communicate in a way where we still have that little rest of anxiety or fear uh, that something bad would happen to us if we told directly what we think. 
right? So, I think that that's um, correct. And I think it's not always so much fear as it's, we have a lifetime of being programmed as to this, ha- this is how we engage. And it was a revelation to realize that there was another way. And obviously, many powerful women and many women in, in high places have learned this. And perhaps many women in, in not so laudatory roles have learned this. But for me, it was it was sort of breathtaking in its scope because it also allowed me to push further into some of the areas that have been sort of rocking American professional sports and, and the social injustice issues and the role of professional athletes. And I felt very strongly about where we should be as an organization and, and what a powerful platform an NFL team is and what good we can do. And, you know, my supervisor and others weren't always on that same didn't always share that same point of view, I should say. And so it gave me the courage to speak out, the determination to speak out, the language to speak out, and and also the strategy so that I could speak to them not just as passion, but speak to them as, here's how it works for the organization, here's what we do, here's how it helps, here's the data behind it, here's all the reasons that you should think about it, not just because it's the right thing to do. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles obviously did exactly what they were going to do because it was the right thing to do. But it was an interesting conversation and debate leading there. Um, there there's so many factors. Uh, this was during the um, uh, Trump presidency. So there were so many factors uh, to consider and to try to organize that it um, ended up being fascinating debates. But one in which I can clearly say that... Um, those remarks from the coach about me speaking from a position of power and and belief and integrity had its own power absolutely informed me. Oh, that is absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing this, Anne, because it really speaks for your capacity to courage. Was there a pivotal moment in your life where you, maybe before you learned this, where you wished you had that courage? You know, I think back on this question a lot with regards to my role as the managing editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer during a very tumultuous time for newspapers, uh, which has only continued to decline. And there was a time when our leadership was saying just... We don't need anything digital. We need to just focus on the print. Um, and I spoke out strongly against that, pointing out to indicators. But what was pushed very strongly into, you know, by, by the publisher and others, into cutting budgets, cutting staff, trying to move forward in a way that was different and unique. And there was two elements of that. On the one hand, I guess you always look back and say, did you fight hard enough? And I knew, I know I fought very, very hard for the budget, but did I fight hard enough? The other side of that is that this notion of creativity comes into play too. Because whether you fight hard enough or you have the courage, I don't know, yeah, that's always a difficult one. But what comes out of it? What were you able to make from the final decision? And I think that we came up with a lot of creative solutions, clearly not enough to really save newspapering. And, and that's, you know, another global phenomena. But it also did drive me in a direction of wanting to become part of the solution, if you will, and looking at digital media in new and, and interesting and creative ways. And I think that that has served me very well. 
Whether my courage was enough, whether my strength was enough at that particular time, I don't know. I mean, the tide is huge against American newspapers. But I do know that I took with me this desire to look for a solution even among the wreckage. And uh, I think that has served very well. And I think maybe in a certain ex- to a certain extent ties in a little bit to the remarks we made when we started this conversation about COVID and that's grace or that's something you can take away. But for me, the power of creativity in the middle of intense pressure, intense trouble has been another takeaway that I think about not only in my life in general, but I certainly saw in sports as well. Yeah. Talking about your life in general, and if you don't mind, I would really like to dig a little bit into your personal life in terms of your values and your wisdoms. Um, I know you're a deep thinker and a very reflected person about what really matters in life. And this is what this podcast is also all about. And I'm sure we can learn from you what you think today makes life or your life meaningful. Would you share a little bit about Sure, that? I appreciate the question. I have really come to this realization that I wanted to build a stronger bridge to my inner self than I was perhaps able to do in the professional world, I'm certainly able to do in the NFL. And I needed to make time for myself to understand some elements of myself that maybe I hadn't been able to give as much voice to. We've talked about creativity, that was certainly one of them. But the second one was a simple understanding and an ever deepening understanding because of COVID of the value of friendship, making time for friends, making time for my family in ways that were truly meaningful and quiet and, and distilled to a certain extent. But it also made me realize that I had a responsibility to mentor others, right? To try to help others and bring them along. And I've increasingly turned my focus to helping young people of all different stripes and, and uh, interests to help them in ways and save them maybe a few steps, if such a thing is possible, from some of the things that I've learned. But I have, you know, experienced uh, joy in my life and I've experienced deep loss in my life. Um, my husband and I lost a daughter. She was, uh, you know, she died at birth. Um, and that really opened up lots of avenues to me to understand that grace does come from tragedy in some ways if you if you allow space for that. And that's something I've tried to carry with me in my life. And as a result of working so hard, I'm not sure that I always took enough time with family and friends and others. And um, that's certainly something that I'm working on. A funny little anecdote that maybe helps express this is that When COVID struck, we had lived in this neighborhood uh, for six years, but I had only recently left the Philadelphia Eagles and I didn't know my neighbors. They didn't know me. And one of the joys of this past, you know, now year and almost a half or whatever, um, 
is just getting to know the people around me, getting to know the people in my community, sharing walks, uh, looking at the nature around me. All of those simple pleasures have certainly blossomed in, into the forefront. And um, this is a consequence of making time, making a deliberate decision to make time, stepping away. Now, obviously, I have the privilege to do that, and I want to make sure that I'm not overlooking that, that um, uh, I sound like this is a remedy for all of us, but it um, is something that I have a moment in time that I'm trying to really focus on now and be mindful of and be careful with. Interestingly, your friendship is, is certainly one that I'm um, very focused on, and, as you know, and, and, and that with mm. others. Um, so I, I guess that's one part of it, that when you talk about what matters most in my life right now, I would say being authentic being there, being present, which, you know, I, I hope doesn't make me sound like a commercial for something, but it is something Not that I'm all. working on. Not at all. I think that uh, is a very powerful and really meaningful intention, as you said, to build a bridge closer to your true self. Mm -hmm. I really like that. And thank you so much for sharing, sharing all that about how you think about life in general and your personal life and about what is really important in life, because that's exactly where we can learn from you. How would you put your legacy other than money? Sorry? It's funny, I wouldn't ever think of money as part of my legacy. I, I, um, well, some I people do, that, and yes, that is suppose, okay too. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe they have more money than I do. <laughs> But, uh, you know, realistically, I want my son to say I was a good mother. I want my husband to say I was a good partner to him, a good wife to him. And I want my friends to say I was a good friend. Honestly, if that's all there is, that, that feels like multiple blessings to me. I don't want to understate, though, the use of what we have while we're living. Right. So if you do have that sort of intentionality or if you can help others understand uh, where they're at or help them with their power, that's something we should be doing while we're living. And that should be part of a legacy we consider. You know, I, I think we tend to think of legacy as after we've passed. And I am trying to think of legacy as as I'm living where what are the lives I can touch? Who can I impact? How can I help? Um, whether that's working with artists or activists or young people or, or startup companies, or that's what I want a legacy to be, is that I was able to touch and help and focus and intensify the power of others um, because of what I've learned in my professional life, right? So whether I've learned to be able to see more because of a journal, as my journalistic background, able to see how point A and D and C are all part of the same story, they just need to be gathered together. Or as I learned in the NFL, the power of good communication to make something happen. Um, just understanding that Finding the right people and helping them amplify their power is an incredible legacy in and of itself. And it doesn't put me in the forefront, uh, which I no longer want to be, but it allows me as part of what I want to contribute to society and to others to bring my gifts, my strength, my experience through a lifetime of working 
and offer it to others uh, in a way that's meaningful. And sometimes that that's something that really works, and and sometimes it's it's not. It's not always accepted. It's not always the right advice. You know, my my position and privilege of this in this life may not be that of others and may not be helpful, but it is something that I'm focusing on as what I want to be my legacy and what I want my legacy to mean in my life today. Not necessarily how others remember me, but how I want it to be today. That is absolutely amazing. And I love that. So when you were talking about advice for others, for the young generation especially. What is your advice really to the young people right now in these complicated, ever more challenging times? Well, you know, it's interesting that you talk about that because what I find is, is um, when I am mentoring the young, they have no patience for step one, two, three, and four. They have a vision that's at stage five whether that's a startup, whether that's their own personal uh, goals for where they want to be. And they have, to a certain extent, no patience, which is the blessing of the young and which makes them drive forward. But they're also missing some of the uh, uh, basic bits of wisdom about what it really takes to get there. So, you know, I spend a lot of energy talking to people about what matters to them so so that I understand that. So. I use the word talking, but what I really do is spend a lot of time listening. What matters mm -hmm. to you? What's what's the most important element? Where are you trying to get to? You know, because by then I understand where they've been, and then I try to put those pieces together for them in a way that they can understand that story. And then I also work with a lot of young people on how to present, how to talk, how, how to answer hard questions, how to think about things in different ways. And, and some of that's just basic old school mentoring. And some of it is also, I think, reflective of the way the world has changed, where we need to listen to different points of view from, from people of different walks of life, of different color, of different ages, of different moments in time, and how that's important to them now, and what can they take from that to move forward in the future. I think that's great. That's, that's really fantastic, Anne. And especially after your learnings you shared with us about the courage to speak your truth and your opinion and to stand up and speak up sometimes when it's needed. Um, and I think that some of that also, I think, was reflected in the work that I have done in, um, you know, 2020 and 2019 with the art activist group for Freedoms, which is a group of um, people from people and uh, contemporary art museums around the United States. It's the largest collective of artists and activists and museums in the country. And a lot of that work was really directed on helping them tell a unified story, which is never easy, because then you have multiple voices, multiple points of view, and, you know, where can that intersect, where can that power be? And um, interestingly enough, uh, the founders, one of which is uh, Hank Willis Thomas, who's a well-known artist um, in the United States and, and uh, very quickly globally, 
had the idea to look backward for that kind of collective united voice. And um, he looked back to uh, 1860, believe it or not, for a group that worked to elect Abraham Lincoln. And that um, was a group that they wanted to elect Abraham Lincoln because they wanted to abolish slavery. And they thought they had the best chance with him. So they organized a group called the Wide Awakes, and they wore capes, and they carried lanterns as identifiers. And they organized, and they protested, and they helped support, and they went door to door, and they did all of these various things to have a voice in a political aspect. And in 2020, For Freedom sort of relaunched this reimagined idea of the Wide Awakes. And used it as a unifying factor, a story, if you will, that's what we're talking about here, for the museums to understand, for the activists to understand, for the artists to understand and really unite behind and begin to collectively tell their stories and their power by using this unifying voice of something that came from the past and actually did drive change. And I found that very powerful. I found uh, the ability to help them tell and magnify that story through content development very powerful. But I do think it just builds upon the points that we're making is that there are many ways to pull disparate voices together. And sometimes that means looking in the past. Well, that is just fantastic and needed more than ever now, I think. Yes, Especially now, I think when politics uh, is roiled around the world as a consequence of COVID to a certain extent, as a consequence of the rise of authoritarianism in all parts of the world, we need every bit of storytelling and unifying and coalesced points of view that we can. Well, absolutely. And at its core, I think it also is important since we really have to sharpen our senses about humankind and becoming more human again. No, I think that's exactly right. And I think actually there's a lot of German philosophers in particular who speak quite eloquently about that. And here, I think in the United States, part of the battle is a rejection of the humanity of the other, whether that's the immigrant, whether that's a person of color, whether that's a woman in power or not. So it is the rejection of the humanity of the other And so I think your point is uh, really well taken. But this is a huge, huge struggle and one that's going to require all of our intention and all of our focus in our everyday life, in our relationships and our extension of our hand to the other in order to make this happen. And, you know, I think about this a lot about what one person can do and is it enough, particularly coming from someone who worked her entire life in large organizations, I think about this, is it enough? And I realize it is what we have, is what we all have. We don't all have organizations that we can help drive. We don't all have small businesses we can reach out and do things. We don't all have the same set of tools, but what we do have is, to your point, our shared sense of humanity and how can we amplify that, if you will? What can we do with that that can make a small change in the hope that it's, you know, the butterfly wings that, that come to roar? I don't know, but it is where we're at right now in this moment. And I don't think that any of us can use the excuse of, 
I can't do something about this. I'm not part of it. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not clear enough. I think we can all do something. I love that. And that is incredibly meaningful. Is there anything you want to add? Well, I just, I want to add about this conversation is that I think that people overlook the value of talking. And this is one of the things that I think your podcast does really well. And just the whole point of view that it's taking is, let me have a conversation. And when you think about that, you think about how the simple value of a conversation, which can then be heard by so many others, and how powerful a good conversation is. And I do think it's something that people should remember. It doesn't always have to be on a podcast. It's just the power of talking to each other and sharing ideas, good, bad, and ugly, maybe has been lost in this media-driven world, of which you know I certainly have been a big participant in, but maybe it's been lost. And so the value of these kinds of conversations and your work in this space, I don't think should be lost, whether it's with one individual, whether it's with thousands, whether 10 people listen. It's powerful, and I wanted to acknowledge that your work is part of that as well. Thank you so much, and that is very, very encouraging to go forward with Before It's Too Late. Thank you. I really enjoyed this profound conversation, and I hope you did too. For more episodes of Before It's Too Late, make sure to subscribe. If this episode spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or loved one you think might benefit from it. Thank you for listening.